We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So what is the sin of the golden calf? And why is it still relevant for us today? That's the question that I was sitting with over this past week as I was thinking about our parasha, thinking about our Torah portion. And as I was studying our portion, there was a verse that I had never really noticed before, paid attention to before, that jumped out at me. It was uh, chapter 32, verse 25. So everybody is more or less familiar with the story, I imagine, by now, that uh, the people uh, are at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, they are uh, uh, unsure of what happened to Moses, so they uh, go to Aaron and they say uh, that uh, that we should make a new Elohim, a new God, let's translate that as for the time being, we should make a new Elohim uh, um, because we don't know what happened to Moses, and so Aaron has them all take their gold and, and jewels, and they... Uh, uh, melt it down into and, and put it into a mold of a calf and uh, they create this calf and they and Aaron says Elo Elohecha Yisrael this is your God, O Israel, that has taken you out of the land of Egypt. And uh, they all have this uh, big uh, celebration. Uh, they, they bow to it. They uh, make sacrifice to it. They have a holiday for this golden calf. Moses comes down the mountain and sees what has happened. He uh, drops or smashes the uh, tablets of the covenant that he has received from God uh, on Mount Sinai. And he goes to Aaron, and uh, and he says, Aaron, what what's happened? And Aaron tells him uh, a, a, a version of the story that uh, seems to absolve Aaron of responsibility. And then Moses looks out to what's happening among the people. This is verse twenty-five. If you look, if you have a chumash near you, you can take a look at this with me if you want. Vayar Moshe et ki paruahu. Moses saw the people that they were out of control. Ki paruahu. Ki prao aharon leshimtsa bekameha. Because Aaron let them get out of control. So that they were a menace to any who might oppose them. Now the shot of that verse is that is that the the people were were wild with their celebrations over the golden calf they had they had no boundaries no restrictions they had no no semblance of law and order among them it was it was chaos and a riot in in the camp Aaron was supposed to be responsible for them but as the commentary in the Yitzchayim points out, uh, Moses and the reader is not to buy Aaron's uh, uh, desire to absolve himself of the responsibility for this sin of the calf. Aaron is implicated in it as well. 
That's the shot. That's the contextual meaning of this verse. Moses looks out and there's pandemonium in the camp. But when I first saw this verse, I was struck by the actual terminology that's used that we translate here as out of control. And the commentators come up with lots of explanations for what that Hebrew term means. Out of control, shameless, lawless, People are not quite sure what that term means. So I just want to look at the term that's used itself because it's so fascinating. Paruahu ki praoaharon. Now, if you were looking at the text without any vowels and just kind of like reading that text naturally insofar as you might see that combination of letters elsewhere in the Torah, what word does it look like, Garrett? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Read that verse again. Read it like a chassid. Yes, read it like a chassid. Who would say, Ki parohu. Moses looked at the people that they had become like Pharaoh. Because Aaron had become like Pharaoh. The people had become like Pharaoh. The sin of the golden calf is that the people became like Pharaoh. Now, what does that mean? Think for a moment about the narrative arc of the Exodus. About what Pharaoh does to the children of Israel. What Egyptian society looks like under Pharaoh. Think for a moment about what God charges Moses to do vis-a-vis Pharaoh. What God charges Moses to be toward Pharaoh. Think about what God has Moses bring upon Egypt and why. What is the purpose of the Exodus? What is the purpose of the plagues that bring Pharaoh into submission? What's the purpose? Of the miracle at the Red Sea. Gary? Human beings should not be idolized. Human beings should not be idolized. Beautiful, perfect. I couldn't say it any better myself. The deal with Pharaoh is that he saw himself and demanded he be seen as, and all of Egypt saw him as the supreme authority in all the world. There was no God beside Pharaoh. Sure, there were lots of other gods, but in Egypt, there was no God beside Pharaoh. In Pharaoh's own mind, there was no God beside Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the ultimate power in the cosmos. So that all of the plagues are meant to teach Pharaoh, as we read in Exodus, that I am the Lord, that I, the God of Israel, am the Lord. That there is no God beyond me. We read it in the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Do not have other gods before me. There's only one power in the universe. And that's the God of Israel. But to be Pharaoh is not only to deny the reality of God's sovereignty, 
but also to project sovereignty onto humanity. Now, you might ask yourself, okay, so what's the big deal with that? What's the problem with that? Well, I think there, there are a few problems with that. The first, of course, is that presumably God is infallible while human beings are fallible. So to project sovereignty, to project control, to worship and follow a human being at the expense of all others means that you are only following at best a partial truth, partial understanding of truth, partial understanding of goodness, partial understanding of righteousness. That's one problem. A second problem with it, probably the more important problem with it, is that the worship of humanity, the worship of a human leader, the worship of the product of human hands, means that those who are in closest proximity to that power are superior to those who are in furthest proximity to that power. So, in Egypt, there is a distinct hierarchy. There is Pharaoh, there is Pharaoh's family, there is Pharaoh's court, there is Egyptians, and then there is everybody else. The Jews aren't even people. The Jews are toivah. The Jews are an abomination. The Israelites, I should say, are an abomination to the Egyptians. Why? Because in that system where Pharaoh is at the top, anybody who is not in proximity to that power is abominable, is subhuman. Now let's look at what happens in the story of the golden calf. I'm on page 529 in the time if you want to follow along. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Vayar ki boshesh Moshe la minahar. The people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. Vikahel ha'am ala haron. And so the people gathered to Aaron or against Aaron. Vayomru elav. And they said to him, Kum Elohim. Come and make us a God. Or actually, as if you're in my Monday Midrash class, you know that the term Elohim doesn't necessarily mean God. It is also a term that means a judge or a leader. So maybe it means a God. Or maybe it means a new leader. But something, an object of worship. Asher Yahulafanenu, who will go out in front of us. Because this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Think about what the children of Israel are saying there. To whom do they ascribe the Exodus? Moses, not God. They forgot that first commandment. I'm the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. It's why when we read the Haggadah on Passover, Moses is not mentioned in it to remind us that it wasn't Moses who took us out of the land of Egypt. Moses was an emissary. Moses was a functionary, but it was God who took us out of the land of Egypt. The people, on the other hand, don't see it that way. They see Moses as the person who took them up out of the land of Egypt, and their anxiety is all about the presence or not presence of Moses. 
God is not in their mindset here. Their mindset is entirely about their projection of leadership and authority and power specialness on Moses. And so they say, Moses is not here anymore. We don't know what to do. We need something else that we can project that desire onto. And so they create the golden calf. That's where Aaron says to them, take off your jewelry and I'll cast it into the fire and we'll make the image of a calf. When later on, Moses looks out and he sees that the people were parua, that the people were out of control, that the people were like Pharaoh, that is what the text is intimating to us. That what the people most wanted was a return to the mindset of Egypt. Or what the people had internalized was the mindset of Egypt. That humanity is in ultimate control. That Moses was the prime authority. And when Moses is gone, they don't know what to do. So they make the calf... And Aaron says after they make the calf, uh, Aaron uh, builds an altar. And Aaron says there'll be a, a, a holiday for God tomorrow. Ve'ashkimu mimachoret. In verse 6, they got up the next day. Ve'alu olot. They made sacrifices. Ve'agishu shlamim. And they brought up uh, sacrifices of well-being. Ve'yeshev And so the people sat down to eat. Lechol. They sat down to eat. Ve'shatu. And they drank. And they got up to dance. Now presumably this is the scene that Moses is seeing in that verse that I read before where he says they became like Pharaoh. But I even think that there is something deeper happening here that Moses sees that sets him off about what's happening in the camp. And why the golden calf is such a grievous sin. It's not because the people made a category error about whether God was an imageless thing or whether God was a a, a graven image. And it's not exclusively because the people confused who was really in charge, who was really sovereign, who really took them out of Egypt, whether it was God or Moses. That term, letzachek, which we translate here as dancing, is used in a couple of ways elsewhere in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, it's used to refer to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality usually meaning acts of sexual assault. Acts of the dominance of one sexual partner over the other sexual partner. This is not consensual activity. This is uh, actions of some people considering themselves or exerting their sense of superiority over other people in ways most primary to their humanity. And there is another place in the Bible where this term is used, not in a sexual way, and that's in the book of Judges, and I want to read you that passage very briefly. In the book of Judges, in the story of Samson, the story of Shemeshon, Samson, after his hair is cut by Delilah, is captured by the Philistines. And they are exuberant exuberant 
jubilant, exuberant, is that a word? Yeah, good, okay. They are exuberant that they have captured this hero of the Jews. The Philistines say, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they sang songs of praises to their God. As their spirits rose, they said, Vayomru, Kiru l'shimshon lanu. Call to Samson and let him dance for us. Vikruhu l'shimshon mi beta asurim. And so they called, they fetched Samson from prison. Vitzachek lifnehem. And he danced before them. Vayamiru oto beina amudim. And so they chained him up between the pillars. That same term is used in Genesis and in Judges in similar but slightly different contexts. In Genesis, it's used to talk about acts of aggression in the sexual realm. And in Judges, it's used to refer to slavery. They make Samson a prisoner and then force him to dance for them for their merriment. Now think back to what happens in the book of Exodus. What is it that Moses sees when he comes down the mountain? He sees the people had v'yakumu litzachek. The people had gotten up to dance. But this isn't the Macarena. This isn't the Hora. This is... Acts, this is not mixed dance. I mean, it might have been mixed dancing. This is compulsory dancing. This is aggressive dancing. This is enslavement. What Moses sees among the people when he comes down the mountain, why it says that Moses looked out and the people had become like Pharaoh. Because in their creation of the golden calf, they had reverted to a society based on the primacy of a human entity or a human creation where everything in proximity to that entity is sacred and everything far away from it is degraded. And it doesn't matter how you treat the people on this side if you're a person on this side, even if it's enslavement, even if it's sexual assault. When Moses comes down the mountain, he looks out at Israelite society and says, these people have become the very thing that God has told them not to be. Don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like Pharaoh. My teacher, Rabbi Arya Cohen, in his incredible book, Justice in the City, says that the Torah is founded on a fundamental premise. You can either be like God or you can be like Pharaoh. And the definition of being like God is that people are fundamentally equal and that you hear and honor the pain and the anguish of every other human being. It enters your heart. You hear it and you're moved to respond. That's what God does in the book of Exodus. That's what we are called to be. If you were like Pharaoh, you were the opposite of that. Unmoved, impermanent, like a golden calf cast out of metal impervious to the pain of others, desensitized to injustice, preferencing all who are in closest proximity to you. And that is why 
And that is why the story of the golden calf still matters to us. Because we are still faced with the same basic premise and the same basic question, the same fundamental challenge. Will we be like God or will we be like Pharaoh? If we are like God, if we ascribe ultimate authority to God, then all humanity is fundamentally equal. Because there is only one person, only one entity, who is on a different plane. We are all on the same plane. To be like God means to hear the cries of the oppressed. To not be made out of metal. To not be swayed only by what's shiny. To not be unmovable and unmoved. And to be like Pharaoh is to be like that calf. And those who sacrifice to it. To be moved entirely by the work of human hands. And to be unmoved by the cries of people who you deem to be lesser than you. And that's why Moses, coming down the mountain, seeing what has happened, drops the tablets of the covenant. In pain, he's realized that the people had just made him like Pharaoh. And in his absence, the people had created a new Pharaoh and had become themselves like Pharaoh. And so Moses goes up the mountain to re-strategize with God to ensure that in the next go-round, he would not be the object of worship, but God alone. And the challenge for us in our lives is whether or not we too will make the same mistake as the children of Israel. Will we ascribe authority to ourselves, to other humans, to the work of our hands? Will we worship human leaders and those in proximity to them? Or will we see a greater authority, sovereign over all, rendering all of us equal and therefore responsible to and for each other. The Israelites fail that test in this story, but we, their descendants, have more chances. Let us, in this Shabbat and in this week to come, take advantage of the opportunities that have been granted us.